Well, as I said before, uh, my name is Daryl. It's certainly a joy to be here with you uh, again this morning. Uh, and we have been, uh, as a Midtown movement of multiple congregations, uh, walking through a series together, which is kind of fun that we all get to preach the same stuff. Uh, we've been looking at this series of these different encounters with Jesus. We've titled it Be Curious, uh, The Search for the Real Jesus, because that's what we want you to do. Uh, as we look at all of these uh, encounters that Jesus had, how did he interact with the rich, how did he interact with the poor, how did he interact with uh, kind of the social outcasts, how did he interact with the religious elite. Uh, and we invite you uh, to, to kind of bring your curiosity to that because we believe um, that uh, Jesus uh, really is who he says he is. Uh, it is our hope uh, that you not are only curious about it, but that you would uh, see and submit uh, and re rest and receive in Jesus alone for salvation and, and to really trust who he is and how he interacts with folks uh, and how we can then follow him uh, deeper into discipleship. And so this morning, we're going uh, we're gonna to look at the curious case of the rich young ruler. Um, if you've been around church for uh, any amount of time, you've likely heard this story. Uh, so our hope this morning is that you would hear it uh, afresh and anew. Uh, but before I jump in, uh, my friend Ashley Spilker is going to come and read the passage for us this morning. Good morning. Hey, thanks. Was that Josh? I don't think so. It's very unlike him. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you, Ashley. You have a great reading voice. Very soothing. Um, let's pray together. Jesus, as we uh, look to uh, you, as we look to your word this morning uh, for what it may have for us, uh, I must admit uh, I'm terrified at this. Uh, terrified to see uh, what you might do, uh, terrified of the idols that you might shake loose uh, in my own heart. And so, Lord, 
uh, this morning, uh, even from the messenger, would you have mercy, uh, would you be so kind uh, as to send your Holy Spirit uh, to move us, to woo us, uh, to draw us back to yourself. Uh, Father God, if you could do these things, we would leave here rejoicing, uh, knowing that it is through your Son uh, that we have life, uh, and it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Uh, so as Ashley read uh, the story of the rich young ruler, uh, we're going to see three things here in this passage. Uh, we're going to see the want of every human heart, and then we're going to see the wildness of Jesus, uh, and then we're going to look at the way of the kingdom, so want and wildness and way, because as we look at this story, it's this case of a, of a man, this gentleman who sought to do everything right, uh, which really might have been his downfall. Uh, because you can do everything right, as we see in this passage, and still miss Jesus altogether. Uh, you can do everything right and still see uh, that Jesus really must be preeminent. Uh, Jesus must be preeminent in every human heart. Uh, and because of this, uh, because he must be preeminent in every human heart, uh, he calls us, his believers, really to examine our own allegiances uh, that we have and to bring those into submission to Jesus. Uh, so let's dive into the book uh, of Matthew, uh, starting with Matthew in chapter 19, verses uh, 16 through 30. If you could toss those back up there, that'd be great. Um, we're going to look first at the want of every human heart. So verse 16 opens uh, our passage this morning with this man who approached Jesus to inquire about eternal life. Uh, right away, we know that something is different about this man. Uh, in all the parallel accounts of this story in uh, Mark and in the book of Luke, uh, he, is, uh, he is known as the rich young ruler. Um, here in this passage, if you have a, a copy of the scriptures, it's just titled The Rich Young Man. Uh, but kind of what we gather from history, from Jewish history, uh, and, and really from study of the Gospels, is that this guy was likely um, a, a leader in the local synagogue um, who had uh, really just had done some things right. I and mean, he had a lot of money, uh, he had a lot of influence, he had a lot of power. Uh, really had it all, or at least in kind of the American pursuit of things, he, he really had it all. Uh, he had wealth on his side. He had age on his side. Um, he had the respect of everybody around him. And he approaches Jesus because he's curious to know uh, really what all of us want to know. Uh, the question that is central to every human heart uh, that has ever taken a beat on this strange planet uh, is uh, the want of every human heart is to know, will I be okay? Will I be okay? Have I done enough? Am I a good person? Am I a good person? So this man comes to Jesus because Jesus has the reputation of being able to decipher these things, being able to answer questions like this. Uh, and this man would, who would have been knowledgeable as to know what to do, um, he, like if, he, if it's true that he is this local synagogue leader, he knew what to do. He knew the answer. He probably even knew what Jesus was going to say. Uh, this would be like playing the kids' version of Jeopardy that comes on. It makes me feel a lot better about myself. Um, this would be like that. It would be like you playing that uh, or going to trivia, and it's about like things you learned in first grade. Um, because this man would have known the answers to his own questions, uh, yet he was insecure. There was an insecurity about him that was drawing him to Jesus, and he comes to him and says, Jesus, uh, in, the, in the parallel passages, he said, good teacher, um, what do I have to do to get eternal life? What do I have to do? Um, and Jesus responds to him, if you want to do good, he said it here, if you want to be perfect, follow the commandments. Follow all the things I told you to do way back in the book of Exodus that you know because you're a synagogue leader. 
You just have to follow those things. You know, listen to your parents. Keep the Sabbath. Don't kill people. Don't lie. Don't steal people's stuff. Uh, don't want to steal other people's stuff. Do all that stuff, and you're going to be fine. Uh, and this man, you can almost sense the relief that he felt here as Matthew is writing this because he claimed, done. I got that down. Got that licked, Jesus. What else? Um, I'm done with that. I got that part. Uh, and that's really what we want, isn't it? Uh, that's what we want. It's what I want. Um, in many ways, it's what got me out of bed this morning is to be seen uh, as somebody who has it together, uh, to be seen as a good person. Because let's assume even for a second, if we can, with our redemptive imaginations, that this guy's telling the truth, uh, that he really hasn't broken any of these commandments. Um, because if that's true, we'd want to make this guy our president. Uh, we would want him to be the mayor. He's this young, wealthy dude that obeys the rules. He doesn't ruffle any feathers. He's got the respect of the community. Uh, let's make that guy an elder in our church. Let's make him the mayor because he's got to be doing something right. And yet this man knows that somewhere deep down, even in his squeaky clean reputation and in his squeaky clean heart, that something is missing. He might be good. He might have kept the commandments. He might not drink or chew or go with girls that do, but he is not whole. He's not whole. He doesn't have shalom. And if it's true that he's a synagogue leader, then he knows what the Bible says. He knows the teachings of the holy religion, or so he thought. Because what he had dialed it down to was not love your neighbor as yourself and have no other gods before God. His commandment that drove his life was that God loves good little boys and God loves good little girls. But something is off. Something's off with this guy, and he figures that Jesus is the person to help him because this is what we want. This is the ache of every human heart, this is the question. It's what my friend Les Newsom calls the prodigal suspicion. This is Tom Brady saying his favorite championship is the one that he doesn't have. This is the Hulk saying the secret is that he's always angry. This is Putin wanting Ukraine. This is Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. It's the deep, burning, nagging pull of our heart that is telling you that there has to be something more. And this guy as upstanding as he feels in his heart, knows that he is a few bricks shy of a load. He knows that he is not there. And however old he is, he spent his whole life trying to tame the demands that the law has. He spent his whole life trying to tame uh, even the, the commandments that God has put on him. And he's had some success. He's had some success. The Bible says this so much. But what he can't do and what he doesn't understand to do is that when he runs into the one who can't be tamed, when he runs into Jesus face to face, Jesus is about to blow up this guy's whole world. Jesus is about to blow up his worldview. The wildness of Jesus is about to tear through this guy. Going to tear through this guy like a toddler at a toy store. It is, he is going to come in and he's going to blow up this guy's whole worldview, which brings us to our second point the wildness of Jesus. If we can look at verse 20 here, uh, the young man says to Jesus, I've kept all these commandments, but am I lacking anything else? Uh, there are still some boxes unchecked in this guy's heart. Uh, you can sense this, you can sense his despair as he's coming to Jesus. He wants to be right. He wants to do it all right. 
And there's this old ancient Chinese proverb that says this, may you get what you want. It doesn't say it in English, I'm translating. May you get what you want, and may you want what you get. May you have the desires of your heart, and when you actually get those desires, may you still want them. This is what this guy is going through, uh, because Jesus comes to him and says, in all his wildness, and frankly, in all the weirdness that Jesus has, comes out because Jesus looks at this guy and says, you want to be perfect. You've done all these things right, but if you want to be perfect, go and sell your stuff, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And this guy's heart dropped. It dropped like the ball in Times Square on New Year's Eve, because while he loved doing what was right, while he loved being seen as right, he loved his money more. He loved his money far more. He was off kilter. His heart was agitated because he knew that he didn't have his money, but his money had him. And Jesus comes in with the unstoppable force, meaning the immovable object here. Jesus comes in and says, something's got to give here, dude, and I'm not the one who bends. If you want to follow me, if you want to be right, if you want to be perfect, if you want to have eternal life, you're going to have to do what I tell you to do. This man that could have been the next mayor, this man who uh, would have made a great CEO, the next Forbes 35 under 35, Jesus lets this guy walk. Jesus lets this guy walk away from him. And when I read this story, I get so furious I get so furious. Jesus, what are you doing? He's rich. He's young. He rules. He does all this stuff. Jesus, what are you doing letting this guy walk? You'd never have to be homeless again. Your disciples wouldn't have to rub grain in their hands to have food to eat because he could feed you. Look at the influence that this guy had. Jesus, this dude is a valuable asset to your kingdom. And Jesus just lets this guy walk? He lets this guy walk away. See, Scripture has a name for this, desire, for this guy's desire to be right. It calls it idolatry. His money had become for him an idol. His money had become for him what he worshipped. Uh, his money was what really bought his security. His money bought his freedom. His money bought his access. His money bought his definition. His money bought his identity. And the disciples are here in verse 23, and they're asking the same question that I had asked, and hopefully that you are asking of this guy, or of this passage, rather. Jesus, are you really letting this guy walk away? For the rich to get into the kingdom of God, Jesus tells his disciples, and then us by proxy, that it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard. Because with money, you can outsource a lot of pain. You can snag a counselor to address uh, without ever addressing your heart issues. You can snort up your sadness and cocaine. You can wash it down with Pappy Van Winkle. You can get nannies for your kids. You can get a house at the beach. You can get a house at the mountains. You can get something with wheels to get you where you need to go. You can get a trainer and some Botox to turn away the signs of aging. You can avoid a lot of things when money is disposable. And among those things is the call that Jesus places on every human heart to lay aside all that you hold dear and to turn to him. It's easier, Jesus says. 
for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. How preposterous of an illustration this is. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, a little Baptist church back in Virginia, and uh, had a youth pastor who didn't like me very much. It was certainly mutual. I was not very kind to him. Um, And he would tell me the story, and he would talk about how the city of Jerusalem had a gate, and the gate was called the eye of the needle, and Jesus was saying, like, you'd have to, like, unload your camel and, like, push him through there. That story is garbage, right? That story is not true. I went and looked it up this week. I earned my paycheck. I did a lot of time looking at this story, and it never shows up anywhere, right? We trace it back to the 15th century. It's not something that the Jews did. It's a story that we like to make up to make ourselves feel a little better because we don't really want to believe that this is what Jesus is saying. It makes Jesus more palatable. It makes him domestic. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to let you do that. He loves you too much to let you pretend that money isn't something you long for. Whether you have a ton of it or whether you don't have any, it's there. And Jesus is saying, it's going to be a problem. Even more than sex, this desire to have it has a way to steal our attention. And Jesus says that money isn't bad until it is. It's not bad until it is. I don't know where that is for your heart. I know where it is for mine. It's not good. Uh, And when money sits at the center seat of our heart's cathedral, Jesus will always be coming in to to topple it over. He doesn't play second fiddle to anything in this world. He won't do it. Uh, Remember how he praised the widow who dropped her two mites in the offering bucket over the Pharisees who judged her for it. Uh, Remember how uh, he blessed the woman who poured out this expensive perfume on his feet and wiped it with her hair when the others were appalled that she was so wasteful. The wildness of Jesus, the weirdness of Jesus presents a look into the way of the kingdom because in the way of the kingdom, lavish generosity uh, is the earmark. Lavish generosity is the standard, not stingy clinging to what we have like this man was trying to do. It's the emptying of those things that we think we love in pursuit of the only one who could ever love us back. This man loved his money, but his money could never love him back. His money would only ask more of him. You don't have to make more of it. You don't have to acquire more things that can never love him back. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who loves you. In Mark's account of the story, he says that Jesus looked at this man and he loved him and he told him, sell your stuff. Jesus is saying to this man, he's saying to us, that stuff can't love you back. So we're going to bring us to our third uh, and final point this morning, the way of the kingdom. Uh, this rich man walks in verse 20. Uh, we see in verse 25, he walks. The disciples are undone. And the disciples are undone because they're asking, Jesus, if that guy can't get in, then who in the heck gets in? If this dude who has it all and is not a jerk about it, like if he, can get, if he can't get in, then how in the world do we get in? If that guy with his influence and his money and his good behavior doesn't get in, then how do we get in? Jesus, we're just fishermen, and we weren't even that good at it. Uh, fishing, a fisherman's a great job to have. They weren't that good at it, 
And they threw all that stuff away to follow Jesus and like left their homes and left their families uh, to follow him around for three years. And they're asking the question, who gets in? It's why we have to be, a care- it's why we have to be careful when we evaluate the disciples uh, because we're a lot like them. We're asking the same questions. Jesus, who gets in? Is it really, is it really as hard as following you? Can it be following you and being super talented? Jesus, who gets in to your kingdom? It's like the time uh, in high, high school I had a huge crush on this girl named Erin O'Donnell. Um, she, it didn't reciprocate. Um, had a huge crush on Erin O'Donnell. And uh, my friend, Sean Leffler, who was like, he was the heartthrob of our school. I had a little crush on him. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Sean was like the heartthrob. Aaron O'Donnell was, was it. And Leffler like went and asked her out and she shot him down. And I was like, then nobody gets a chance. If she isn't going to take Leffler, then nobody's going to get to her. When we approach this passage, when we look at what Jesus says, we have to ask this question, who gets in? And Jesus says, and he wants us to see that loving our stuff is going to lead us to madness. And the way of the kingdom is going to be upside down. He tells this to the disciples. The first are going to be last. The last are going to be first. You're going to have to get rid of all your stuff, as he tells this guy. Um, and he's going to make commands and demands of you that, don't, that aren't going to seem to make a lot of sense. Um, but Jesus says the way of the kingdom is really upside down, that leadership is service, that loss is gain, that the first are last and the last are first. That Christianity is this race to the basement and not a race to the penthouse. Uh, Because in Scripture, in Christ's encounter, he doesn't tell anybody else to do this. That's that's kind of why this passage gets a little bit of a bad rap. um, Because we take it as prescriptive. Like we're saying, oh, then Jesus must be telling us to sell all our stuff. He might be. I don't know. He might not be. But what we do know is that he is telling you that you need to keep an eye on what you worship. That when you look at the cathedral of your own heart, when you look deep inside yourself and deep inside of who you are, what are we really worshiping? What are we really hoping in? Because Jesus was the real rich young ruler. That's the point of this passage. The point of this passage isn't even going and selling your stuff. The point of this passage is to see that Jesus was the real rich young ruler who didn't walk away sad. That when, was, when Jesus and God had their interaction and shook hands in this covenant of redemption, that Jesus didn't walk away sad because he was going to have to give it all away. Instead, Jesus comes and sets aside all of his riches. Jesus was the richest person in this whole story, right? He owned everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the earth. He made it. But he sets aside his riches to come for you, to come for his bride, to come for his church. It was Jesus who set aside all that heaven offered him and said, I will go and buy my people back because they are captives and they are slaves to sin. And I'm going to go and pay that ransom for them. I will fulfill the law's demands on their behalf and I'll live and move and walk amongst them. I'll be a carpenter. I'll be called a drunkard and a glutton. I'll come in. With the only thing powerful enough to loosen the grip that our stuff has on us, and that's the gospel of Jesus. 
for Jesus to come into our hearts and all the things that have our hearts, that vie for our heart's affection, Jesus can look at those and say, those things are going to fail you and I won't. That your idols are going to make promises of you that you can't keep and that they can't keep. This is the lie of the garden, right? When Satan talks to Eve, he tells her, you will live forever and you'll be like God. And our idols try to promise us the same thing. If you just trust me a little bit more, if you just toss a little bit more money at it, if you just read a couple more parenting books, if you just wait a little longer, if you just keep dating, keep desiring those things that you really want apart from Jesus, and they're going to fail you. But Satan tries to promise us that they're going to allow us to live forever, that we're going to be like God, that we won't need God. This is what the rich young ruler thought. If I can just do everything right, I won't need Jesus to get me into heaven. And Jesus is saying there's no greater lie in the universe that you've been told than that. That trusting in Jesus and resting in him alone for salvation is the only thing that moths can't destroy and that thieves can't break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Jesus tells us. That when he has us in the hollow of his hand that nothing could snatch us away. Friends, it's only in the Christian story that we find that we are worth more than our stuff. It's only the Christian story. It's unique to the Christian story that you are not defined by what you do, but you are defined by who you belong to. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the Christian story that we can stop striving, that we can lay our deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, as John Newton said, and stand in him and in him alone gloriously complete. Friends, this morning, let us put aside the sin that so easily entangles us, as the writer of Hebrews said, that lets us run to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And what was that joy? That joy is you. That joy is you. You're the treasure. You're the apple of his eye. You're the crown jewel of his creation. You're the one that he loves, and you're the one that he loves enough to say, I'm not going to let your stuff rule you because I have to rule you because I'm the one who loves you. Uh, So let us... um, Pray, and then I think we're taking communion. I think. I know we're taking communion. I'm in charge. We're going to take communion. Uh, so let's pray together. Uh, Lord, it is only by your goodness uh, and your grace uh, that we can even stand before you. As the psalmist said, if thou iniquities dost mark our secret sins and our misdeeds dark, O Lord, who can stand before you? And Lord, we rejoice that that is not our story. That we are not defined by our sin, but instead are covered by the blood of the Lamb because you uh, have made a way for us to come to you again. So Jesus, uh, we thank you and praise you this morning for being that sacrifice for us. Uh, We thank you and praise you uh, that as we come to the table, we can do so hungry and thirsty and longing for all that you have for us. Uh, And we would leave here rejoicing. We would leave here telling others, Uh, to come and see a man who has told us everything we've ever done and loved us anyway. And it's in his name we do pray. Amen.